0: The following program is sponsored by The National Prayer Chapel As I went down in the river to pray Studying about that good old way And who shall wear the starry crown Good Lord, show me the way Oh, sisters, let's go down Let's go down, come go down, down in the river to pray. As I went progress i'm ray greenley from the national prayer chapel in the fifth chapter of the book of romans we're told that by one person one man sin entered the world and it was by one sin when adam and eve took that piece of fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they transferred the ownership of the world from the hands of the Almighty God into the hands of Satan himself. And with that came the plunge of the whole human race into sorrow, degradation, uncleanness. Satan was determined he would destroy this creation of God. Now, by one man who died on Calvary, a way was opened for the entire human race to once more transition into the presence and power of the Almighty God of heaven and redeem the earth from the wickedness Now we're talking about Are you a Romans 7 Christian? Or are you a Romans 8 Christian? And what is the glory of a Romans 8 Christian? Well, let's review quickly. Romans 7 tells us that a person has no victory, they can't overcome their sin. So they call themselves a Christian. They perhaps have even been baptized in water. But they still walk in darkness. They still walk in rebellion against the Almighty. But they consider themselves Christians and consider themselves saved. In fact, one Anglican bishop became so enraged with me when I taught on this broadcast That you could leave your sin by the power of the blood of Jesus, that you could walk clean before Jesus. This Anglican bishop became so enraged, he threw me out of his church. I was preaching in his church. He threw me out. He forbid me from even coming on their campus. This was for him the chief heresy because he believes in a Christian sinning. He is a Roman 7 Christian. He has no victory and he doesn't believe it's possible. Well, let me say this very kindly. It is in the bitterness of disappointment. It is in the heartbreak of failure. It is the recognition of our being utterly ineffective. It is coming into a deadlock where we can finally come to the utter end of ourself and finally can come to terms with what it means to be a Romans 8 Christian. Now I'm going to go down there today This is Halloween. Halloween day, October 31st. It is a celebration of death covered over by some sweet candies that we give our children. But it is, in every respect, a demonic, devilish celebration of death. I don't celebrate death. I celebrate life. And the joy of walking in oneness with Jesus. But there is a death we must speak of. It is coming to the end of ourselves and being willing now to be transitioned from a life of failure and death, a life of sin a life of compromise, a life of walking with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the devil's kingdom, not realizing that you can't walk that way. You have both feet in the devil's kingdom even though you're claiming to be a Christian. It's that bag that I spoke of yesterday from Whole Foods that is to carry the produce out of the grocery store. And there's a hole in the bag, and the groceries all fall out onto the ground as you're walking. That is very typical of many who call themselves Christians. You put your money in your bag, and suddenly it's gone. And you wonder, what happened to all of my money? Well, there are holes in your bag. It leaked out. We have to come to recognize the the true condition of our heart before God. And it's those failures, those disappointments, those bitter disappointments. It's that sickness and that pain. It's the recognition of our gross mistakes. I tell you. I wish I could have lived this life without making any mistakes. (laughs) I've made so many, and they've cost me so much, and they've caused my heart such pain before God that I flee to him. I flee to his mercy and his grace. Now, to understand... Romans 8, we have to go into Romans 6. Romans 7 is almost uh, in parenthesis. But Romans 6 flows right into Romans 8. So let's take a look at Romans 6 and let's understand what is it that's required of you, of me, to make the transition from a life of failure to a life of glorying in Romans 8. Now, just to give you a taste, you know Romans 8, but I'm going to give you just a taste again so that I can whet your appetite for where we're going. Therefore, see, therefore is referring to something. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus because through christ jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death so we have to be set free from this law of sin and death that adam and eve brought us into as a human race and we must be brought into the law of the spirit of life That's what Jesus did at the cross. Now this has not been understood because many of you have thought that you were walking in Jesus in the midst of your sin. So a person who says to me, you know, pastor, I'm I'm living with somebody that I'm not married to but it's okay because I'm a Christian and Jesus knows and he's forgiven me. No, he hasn't. Are you kidding me? Well, every night I get on my knees and I say, Jesus, please forgive me for living with this woman and I'm not married to her. He didn't even hear your prayer. You're not forgiven. Or the person who says, you know, I, I get drunk. Every once in a while I get drunk or or every once in a while I I smoke. In fact, a pack a day or two packs a day. You're destroying the temple of God. Do you think that you can get on your knees and say Jesus forgive me and he's forgiven you? No. You're not forgiven at all. You've just gone through a psychological process to make yourself feel good so that you can continue walking in your sin. Some of you go to the internet, and in just a couple of clicks, you're on that web page of pornographic images. And then you masturbate. And then after you're all finished, you feel dirty, you feel unclean. And you say, Jesus, forgive me. Did he forgive you? No. No. It doesn't work that way. We don't walk in sin and then say, Jesus, I repent. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And now I'm back with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It's a false hope. It's an insanity. That's not how Jesus functions. I'm going to share with you today how Jesus walks. And I'm going to share with you how you can be forgiven for that fornication or that divorce or that abortion. I'm going to tell you today how you can be forgiven for that pornography. It's not going to be easy. But it is a free gift. You're going to have to be transitioned from the destruction of the flesh into life in the spirit. Now, this passage in the eighth chapter i want to just highlight one piece and we'll come back to it and back to it and back to it i have much i need to share with you next week regarding this issue therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in en in christ jesus that's a locative that's a position in christ jesus now the Holy Spirit comes to every man and every woman and calls them to come out of their darkness and their sin. And you may say, Pastor, the Holy Spirit is with me. That does not mean you are saved. You may even walk in some of the gifts of the Spirit. That does not mean you are saved. Remember what Jesus said? The last part of the Sermon on the Mount, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and this and perform this miracle? And and he says to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. So it's possible to even perform miracles and be lost and go to hell. This is serious. And I beseech you, don't be dumbed down by this lying preaching about God's grace covers you even though you may sin. God's grace is there and it covers you over. God's grace is everything. No, that's not God's grace. That's that's make-believe grace. That's cheap grace. It's not real grace. Real grace transforms a man or a woman into the likeness of Jesus. Now today, something that's very popular is we want to have our wonderful worship songs. And we want to come into a zone of worship. And we want to have these warm, fuzzy feelings And we call that the Spirit of God. It is not the Spirit of God. It is not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not bring us into a zone of emotionalism and sentimentalism where we feel all warm and fuzzy and we say, oh, the Holy Spirit's here, the Holy Spirit's... No, He's not Get the same high by going to a wicked concert. Get the same high by going to the Kennedy Center. Sitting through an opera where you have this wonderful music and, and voices and, and action and lights and, and you're enthralled and you're, and you're just filled. Yes! That's not the Holy Spirit. Come on. Let's get real. People want to sing songs for 45 minutes before the worship service. Okay, I'm not against singing praise and worship. I love praise and worship. But to imagine that I can come into a praise and worship service filled with myself, with my pride, with my pleasure, with my wickedness, and I can somehow say, oh, I'm in the presence of God, and God loves me, and he's forgiven me for my sins. You're walking in insanity. That is not how the Spirit of God will function with you. That's not how you walk in Romans 8. Now, to understand this, we need to come to Romans 6. And there's a book written by George Watson 1845 to 1923, his lifespan. He was a holiness Methodist preacher um, in the late 19th century. Writing about Moses, he says, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. It's evident that the burning bush was a type of what God wanted Moses to be. Just as the the flames pervaded the bush without withering its leaves or in any wise damaging its natural functions, so God designed that the whole being of Moses should be aflame with the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit, without infringing upon his free agency and without destroying any of the legitimate functions and faculties of his being." The question is often asked, what will the baptism of the Holy Spirit eliminate from the human nature? The true scriptural answer is it will destroy sin and nothing but sin. Some have imagined that if all sinful tempers and desires are removed, it involves a partial destruction of the human nature. No, it simply involves the destruction of sin from the human nature when it is preached that the Holy Spirit can destroy the mental taste for light and trash trashy literature or movies or whatever your entertainment of choice is. It does not involve the changing of the constitution of the mind, but simply the purging out from the mind, the vivified and false tastes. The Lord did that with me with football. I used to hold huge redskin parties. In fact, I've even in the past many years ago, released the church early so we could all go to the football parties. It was utter sin, it was utter wickedness before God, but I didn't realize it. I was walking in Romans 7. So when we insist that the Holy Spirit can destroy the desire for alcohol, tobacco, opiates, it is through by some It is thought by some that it involves the upsetting of the physical body of man. But no, it simply involves the destruction of abnormal appetites and cravings for those things which are positively against the normal constitution of a person's body. All those appetites and faculties which God appointed to the body and mind will not be destroyed by any degree of holiness. But those things that have been devised and and brought to pass in man by the work of the devil, God will destroy by his Holy Spirit. The flame of fire did not change the original constitution of the bush or turn it into another species of tree or straighten the limbs into some kind of mathematical line the full baptism of the Holy Spirit simply cleanses away all sin from the believer and fills him with the love of God without deranging in the least the original constitution of either body, mind, or spirit, without turning the believer into any other species of being, without changing his capabilities into those of any other person, without necessarily straightening out his his special habits of righteousness, his idiosyncrasies, his way of being. If it's not unholy, it won't be changed. Each of us has a multitude of defects attaching even to the holy ones, defects resulting from a thousand complex causes Some from heredity, some from race, some from education, some from previous sinful habits, some from defective faculties, injuries, or being born with an infirmity. God is the infinite searcher of the heart. (coughs) Pardon me. He can unweave the tangled Skin, and weigh and judge all the details of a Christian's life in thought and in action. So we may not be a towering redwood tree. We may not be a beautiful palm tree in the Florida breeze. We may not be a a cedar of Lebanon in full perennial green. We might just be that acacia shrub growing on a stony stony mountainside, in ourselves the poorest and weakest and most despised of all things, loaded with manifold infirmities, and yet be so cleansed from sin, so filled with the pure love of Jesus, so filled with the celestial flame, that the Holy Spirit makes us much better than we are. And many will pause to wonder at the mystery of such a weak thing being the residence of such glory. Pure love is a flame that burns without consuming the soul. Words from Pastor G.D. Watson. He's right on track. As we come to Romans 6, I want to read something for you. This is verse 3. No, let me go back just very quickly to Romans 8. We are talking about the difference between the Spirit of God being with and the Spirit of God being in. We're talking about the Holy Spirit bringing us along in spiritual growth, confronting us with our sins to that transition point where we finally enter into Jesus. You cannot enter into Jesus in your sin you can be with the Holy Spirit and still be walking in your sin. All of the Old Testament, Samson and many others, all of the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit was with them, but he was not in them. Because according to John 7, Jesus had not yet been glorified. The woman at the well did not receive the water that Jesus spoke of because he had not yet been glorified. It was only after he was glorified that the Holy Spirit could come into a man or a woman. Up to that point, he was with but not in. Now let's look at the transition point that begins to be spoken of in Romans the 6th chapter and then we're going to go in much more detail next week. And I urge you share this with a friend, subscribe to this broadcast and don't miss next week's broadcast. They will be life-giving. They will be that which will transition you if you heed the word from the realm of Romans 7 to fully living in Romans 8 and the glory of Romans 8. Now, Romans 6, verse 3. Are you ignorant that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death Now, again, this is not speaking about being baptized with water. Water baptism will not bring you into Jesus Christ. It is only the Holy Spirit baptism that brings you into Jesus Christ. We need to pay very careful attention to the way these words are used. Paul was careful. And we're going to go in depth in the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark. And there you will see they are very careful how they use these terms. It's only those who are baptized into Christ Jesus, not with water baptism, but with Holy Spirit baptism. Really, we were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death that just as Christ was raised out from among the dead men by the glory of the Father so also we may walk around in newness of life and that word newness means it never existed before it's something brand new so what's he saying well Being baptized into Christ Jesus and baptized into his death are the work of the Holy Spirit, not water. This baptism is that newness of life that never existed under the law, neither does it exist under the punishment of the law. That's important. Now, this new life in Christ is on the ground of his shed blood and being regenerated through faith in that shed blood, that is, being made new through the shed blood of Jesus. In this disposition disposition, or dispensation, I'm sorry, of grace, Mankind is restored from the image of Adam in which he was born to the image of God. What is the image of God? Scripture tells us the image of God is righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge by the baptismal power of the Holy Spirit. So this restoration is spiritual, it is moral, and it is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. Accordingly, he is the end of all sin for those who are baptized into him. For this is a baptism into his death, an induction into Jesus Christ, which is a walk in the newness of life. Now, let me break this down a little bit. When we come to Jesus and we are baptized into him and into his death, we are literally saying, I am prepared now to be transitioned totally out of my old life and into a new life. I'm ready to be transitioned out of my sin life and into a righteous life. Righteous simply means innocent. That's the base meaning of Dikasune. or righteousness. It is, I am innocent. So, when you come into Jesus, you enter into his death and you die. The only way to overcome sin is to die to it. How do I die to it? I die to it by coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm asking you, please, by your shed blood, to totally change me and transform me into a new creature. Now, this can happen very quickly, or it can take a fair amount of time. It is required that we repent. Remember John the Baptist, the first word he spoke was repent. The first word Jesus spoke was repent. The first word the apostles spoke. The first word Peter spoke. The first word Paul spoke was repent. The only way into Jesus Christ is repentance where I finally am willing to say I have failed enough, I've been disappointed enough in myself and in my ability to perform what Jesus would have me do, that I'm ready to give up all of my humanism. The famous writer and presenter, Tony Robbins, or other humanists like Oprah Winfrey, or Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, or Clyde Bristol, The Magic of Believing, or a whole range of others, Dr. Jampolsky with The Course in Miracles. On every hand, there are humanists who want to tell us that you can be the very best you can be if you'll just try harder, If you'll stop making poor decisions and make right decisions. And then they give you all kinds of strategies for how to be successful. How to change the way you think. How to change the way you view reality. How to have a paradigm shift. I used to follow all of these very carefully and try to do everything they suggested. And I ended up in bitter failure it didn't bring me to Jesus it didn't bring me to holiness it didn't bring me to victory it kept me in Romans 7 I can't I can't give you any news except that there's only one way into Jesus you can continue with the Holy Spirit striving with you outside of you but there's only one way to come into Jesus, and that's by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, water baptism, I, I believe, is very important. It is the signing of the covenant that says, I will enter into Jesus, and I am now leaving all of my sin. I have repented specifically of every area of sin in my heart and in my life. I have given it into the hand of Jesus. I have asked him to transform me into his likeness. I have renounced it in the name of Jesus. And I'm now prepared to die to myself utterly, completely, and finally. Now you understand there's no longer room for ambition or bitterness or anger or selfishness there's no room now for uncleanness, fornication, pornography. You are now being transitioned by a work of God, not by your work. Your job is to come before the Lord and be very honest and take responsibility for how you have offended him, for how you have hurt others, for, you, for how you have stolen from others, how your bitterness has driven you to a place of desperation and loneliness, to sickness. It is a time of abject humility before God, where you finally admit you cannot be saved by your works, that even the very best you have to offer is as a minstrel cloth, a minstrel pad that a woman just throws away because it's disgusting and it's bloody. You've got to come to a place where that's how you feel about your very best works to earn God's love. You come with nothing. You come with your hands Open. You don't come clutching your baggage. You cannot enter into Jesus and think you somehow have something to offer him in the way of skills or abilities. That's why Moses spent those 40 years herding sheep, not even his sheep herding his father-in-law's sheep cleaning out their nose cleaning the infestation of maggots in the nose of the sheep he had to clean those out he had to clean the lice out of their out of their coats he had to lead them and care for them For 40 years, he was being trained to take care of the rebellious children of Israel, and he was being prepared to be filled with the glory of God, so much so that men and women could not bear to look at his face because the glory of God shone with such brilliance from his countenance. You want to walk in the glory of Romans 8? then you've got to begin in in chapter 6. And you've got to begin to recognize that the only way you can enter Jesus is by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not the happy spirit, not the music spirit, not the sentimental, sloppy spirit, not the permissive spirit. He is a Holy Spirit. And you're going to have to come to the utter end of yourself if you want to enter into life. Now, you can continue to deceive yourself that you're fine, that you go to church, that you participate in all of the offerings and celebrations of the church. You read all the right rituals, but you're still walking in Romans 7. And you've never surrendered that secret sin to Jesus. So you look on women and lust after them. You look at your pornography. If you have a chance, you fornicate. You lie to your wife or your husband. You lie to your children and your boss. You steal at work. You steal time, supplies. You watch violent movies. You fill your heart with filthiness. And then you have the insane imagination that you're saved. And that somehow you can't change this. Well, you can't, but Jesus can, and he's willing to. But you're going to have to die if you're going to do that. You're going to have to come to a place in your life of of finally saying, I'm guilty as charged, and there's no hope for me unless Jesus can save me. And I want to tell you today, he can save you. Listen, really, we were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death that just as Christ was raised out from among dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in newness of life. That is the promise of God to you, but you must first enter into that death of self. And you can't even put yourself to death. That's a work the Holy Spirit's going to have to do as he comes with you. Holy Spirit is calling you right now. I know in the Spirit I hear him calling. I hear him calling you. Oh, my brother, my sister. Are you going to go back and stay in that wickedness? Are you going to make pretend that you're saved even while you're lost that's insanity by definition that's insanity i mean if a, if you come to visit your brother and he's out in the garage and he has two before he's laid down on the floor and he's hammering together and making a ladder And you say to him, what are you doing? And he says, I'm making a ladder. And you say, well, what do you need a ladder for? And you say, I'm making a ladder so I can climb to the moon. What? You're making a ladder to climb to the moon? Yes. You're insane, brother. You can't reach the moon by making a ladder. You can't reach heaven by pretending that you can clean yourself up and do self-improvement and do strategies for success and somehow continue to walk in your sin and think that you are going to reach heaven. Heaven is a lot further away than the moon. That is by definition insanity. so in Romans 6 for if we have become united in the similarity of his death then we shall also be united in the similarity of his resurrection knowing this that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed that we not hereafter serve sin for the one having died has been freed from sin please hear me as you begin to confess honestly to God and probably you'll need to a brother or sister, the sin of your heart. As you confess that and you go to the depth of that and say, Lord, why have I done this? It has offended you. As you confess that, And you have a sense of remorse for how you have hurt our Father in Heaven and grieved the Spirit of God. You finally say, I don't want to do that anymore, Holy Spirit. I'm done with that. I don't want to go there. I'm not going to pretend anymore, Jesus. I am being crucified with you now, Christ. These things in me are now being put to death by the Holy Spirit. As I confess them and release them into his hands, he will take them. He will take forever your love of money. He will take forever your selfish ambitions. He will take forever the lust of your heart. You're going to have to be crucified with Christ if you're going to live in the glory of Romans 8. This is as real as it can get. Verse chapter 6, verse 8 But if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised out from the dead, men. "'Dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. "'For in that he died, he died with reference to the sin, "'once for all. "'But in that he lives. "'He lives with respect to God. "'So also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, "'but living for God in Christ Jesus our Lord. "'Therefore, Sin must not reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust of it, and you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin, but once and for all yield yourselves to God as living out from among spiritually dead men and yield your members as instruments of righteousness or innocence for God, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. What shall we say then? Shall we sin even once hereafter because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know, to whom you yield yourselves as servants to obey, you are servants to whom you obey, whether of sin in death or of obedience in righteousness? But thanks be to God, because you used to be servants of sin, but you obeyed out from the heart a standard of teaching under which you were delivered, and having been freed from sin, you were made servants with reference to innocence. Now you may never have heard this before. But if you want to get serious with God, you're going to have to get serious. You're going to have to get very sober. And you're going to have to go before the Lord and ask Him to transition you out of your life of sin into a life of righteousness. And that will happen through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is only by the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ will enter into you, or you enter into Jesus. The disciples walked with Jesus, but Jesus was not in the disciples until Pentecost. Jesus walked the countryside, and they walked with him. And you can walk with Jesus and still be in sin in Romans 7, but to be saved... You must be saved from your sin. I urge you to read very carefully this week the book of First John. Not the Gospel of John, First John. We'll be going there next week. Well, we're out of time for today. I want to pray with you quickly. Almighty God, I just hear that some are grasping, are grabbing, like a life preserver, this word I've spoken today. I pray, Lord, you're going to accomplish in them all that you desire and that you will come in power into them. Thank you, Lord, I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. If you'd like to come and learn more about how to walk in jesus you're welcome to do that you can come and be a part of the house church let me give you a phone number 703-489-1785 call and ask for directions and i'll be happy to get those directions to you or you can text me at 703-489-1785 and i'll be happy to text you directions Do you want Jesus in all of his fullness? Do you want to live in the glory of Romans 8? It's here for you. It can be yours. If you'd like to write to me, you can do so at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com and you can donate online. If this broadcast has been a blessing do you, subscribe to our page and share it with a friend. I love you. God bless you.